Welcome to the Beijing to Britain podcast with your hosts Sam Hogg and Steve Lynch as we examine the ever-changing relationship between the UK and China. Our aim is fairly simple, to learn more about the decision makers, ideas, threats and opportunities that underpin this bilateral and to inject some complexity back into the discussion. In each episode, we'll discuss the recent happening, what's going on with some experts and look at the parliamentary output and field some questions from you. So, Sam, episode two, we haven't been sanctioned yet. Here we are, still going pretty strong so far. So, in today's episode, we'll be uh, discussing the reaction to the foreign minister's visit. We'll be talking to Richard Graham, MP, who's the chair of the all-party parliamentary China group. And we'll also be discussing with Catherine West, who's the shadow foreign minister for Asia, as well as possibly touching upon the overshadowed visit of Lord Johnson, who's the minister for investment. That's exactly right, Steve. As listeners will know, the Foreign Secretary James Cleverly visited China last week for around 24 hours, and the reaction to his visit has carried on since then. So today we'll be looking at some of the people and some of the comments that have come in since then. But before we get on to whether we should have engaged or not engaged, we just want to say an enormous thank you to all those who have um, listened so far and, and sent in some of the really positive feedback. We want to hear more from you. Um, if you could let us know what topics you would like us to discuss who you would like us to discuss them with. That would be really valuable. Um, we also appreciate some of the constructive feedback. Um, just as an example, uh, someone sent in that, Steve, do you know you repeat all the same words about a thousand times? Uh, yes, I do. And Sam, did you know you sound like a robot? And thank you. That was actually me who sent that one into Steve as well. So that's perfect. And the other one was from my wife. Let's get straight into this then, Sam. Uh, reaction to James Cleverley's visit. Um, I think it's absolutely amazing operating in a UK-China space because for around 24 hours, this space just came alive. Almost every single person had an opinion. Um, and in fact, it was headline news. So my first question to you, Sam, should this even be headline news? The foreign secretary, whose mission is to engage with foreign nations, visits a foreign nation, the second largest world economy. Should this even be news? Well... Controversially, given the UK-Russia bilateral, I actually think the UK-China bilateral is the most complicated one the government has to try and manage. And therefore, the first major visit in five years should probably be news, so that's fair enough. I think where it becomes particularly interesting is how do you report this visit, what context you put around it, and also what weight do you give the visit? Because uh, you're right, if this was just a normal diplomatic visit from the foreign secretary who represents the diplomatic arm of the government, then no, it wouldn't be headline news. Ministers go and visit places all the time. A recent minister, ministerial visit to the Stans got almost no coverage here at all. So that's that's the context there. And the fact, as you say, that everyone came alive with an opinion speaks to just, I'm, I'm going to wax lyrical here for a second, but that one of the best things about democracy that we have is that everyone has a view in politics and in parliament, and they're given the space to put those views forward and the space to argue with each other about those views. So should it be headline news? I think so in this occasion, yeah. It seems the biggest outcome of the visit was engagement. Um, so let's maybe hear from James Cleverley himself to understand exactly what he was trying to achieve through his visit. Some people think I shouldn't be here, but it is more important than ever that we engage with China. 
China presents a challenge to uh, our values and some of our principles, but I, of course, will bring up the areas where we disagree and disagree strongly on human rights, on Hong Kong. As I said in my Mansion House speech, the only way to influence China is to engage with China. And there are incredibly important issues that we need to work on together, from uh, climate change, uh, disease uh, prevention and response. And of course, to bring a conclusion to Russia's brutal invasion of Ukraine. That is why I'm here in Beijing. That is why I'm meeting with Chinese ministers. That is why diplomacy is so incredibly important. So there you heard the Foreign Secretary outlining why he feels the visit was justified and what he wanted to achieve by going on that visit. And of course, his words and his rhetoric around that and the government's perceived lack of China strategy in this space was criticized by people from his own party. So we're now going to run clips from two particularly prominent voices on the China skeptic side of the Conservative Party. The first is from Ian Duncan Smith, who co-chairs the influential group the Interparliamentary Alliance on China, or IPAC. I mean, the problem we've got is we're dealing with a country that's enormously powerful now. Uh, we've basically fed it in that direction. I, I say, by the way, I should give a, a declaration. I am sanctioned by the Chinese government, uh, and so are my family. So uh, the reality I have here is that this is a government that has um, committed genocide, is committing genocide in Xinjiang, slave labor regularly. Many of the products we buy are uh, slave labor involved in them. Uh, they threaten to invade Taiwan regularly. They've invaded the South China Seas against the UN's edicts. Uh, they trash the Sino-British agreement. They're arresting peaceful democracy campaigners. They trash the Christian churches. They have been doing organ harvesting on the Falun Gong uh, in China. It goes on and on and on. This is a regime that is redolent, I think, of the Nazi regime in the 1930s. And we learned then the hard way that appeasement to organizations like this simply doesn't work. You have to be very clear and obvious to them that there are downsides to behavior like this, which is beyond the pale. And the second clip comes from Alicia Kearns, who chairs the Foreign Affairs Committee and also runs the backbench conservative China Research Group. Well, look, we've already seen in the last few months, the Chinese Communist Party is slightly starting to realize that perhaps their wolf warrior diplomacy is not helping them. It is not helping them achieve what they want. I spoke to James Cleverly yesterday while he was on the plane. Um, I'm very hopeful that he will land those points about transnational repression. We all know we are seeing increased espionage on British shores. And we are also seeing appalling human rights abuses against the Uyghur, the Tibetans and many more. It is absolutely important that Britain has a role to play in the Indo-Pacific, where we make clear that we will stand up for rule of law, for human rights and for self-determination. And that actually our willingness to do that is not a threat to China. It is about us standing up for the international rules-based system and those norms and values, which mean that no, Sovereignty cannot be achieved through violence. And it is vital that China hears that again and again from partner after partner. Aha, Project Kowtow from Ian Duncan Smith. Um, I suppose when we look at what was achieved, I mean, what was achieved? I mean, in principle, it seems like engagement was the most important thing. The UK finally visited after five, five years. Maybe in a way we, we showed strong leadership by outlining our red lines. For me, I think it's really simple. You just cannot ignore China. And I think my slight concern is if engagement is the baseline, what possible hopes do we actually have for further economic ties, climate change, genuinely moving the dial on Russia, you know, operations around research and development. So I think 
disengagement uh, is slightly delusional, uh, but it is also clear it's slightly a struggle to present a coherent narrative. Yeah, I think that's that's true. And it's one of the things that I struggle with on a uh, pretty regular basis is trying to understand what engagement actually looks like. And on that aspect too, you've, you've highlighted it there. If we're going to have engagement and we're going to pull out areas like climate change or uh, restructuring debt to developing countries, the government is really poor at spelling out how exactly engagement with China you know, benefits or, or makes a difference on either of those spaces. Because it's easy to say that we need to bring China along uh, as a green partner and as a country that will help us and help the rest of the world, developing countries, to ch- uh, challenge climate change. But what do we actually want from them? And I think that's also a point in regards to what we believe success is. And again, this trip has been criticized by many uh, and welcomed by many more. But what is success and to whom? And I think ultimately that's the big problem, that this trip is not going to move the dial. We know that. Um, and a one meeting, one ministerial visit is not going to fundamentally change the relationship. But it does put or rebuild bridges and sort of re-establish the communication channels for further development and possibly communication and collaboration. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree on that at all. It'll be interesting to see what comes of it between now and the next visit, who the next visit is, because that will help indicate where the British government's views certainly are about where they want to start putting that collaboration in place or that part, those partnerships, as it were. But I do think that where some of the criticism has been very, very sound, in my opinion, is that it's all well and good having this engagement, but the if they're, if they're going to portray engagement as a positive, which it definitely is, we start seeing where those signs of engagement are coming through. So maybe to just take that a little bit further then, Sam, if engagement and dialogue is not the way forward with China, what is? You mean, what should, what should the government be doing? What should UK institutions be doing instead? Yeah, you see, that is the question that underpins almost all of the discussion here around China and the UK, politically anyway. And I'm not going to sit here and say I've got an answer for you because my view on this is the engagement. Having someone at the table is always the best place to be because then you can start to, as you say, set these red lines, set out areas where you can work together, set out areas that are completely off bounds. And and I have to say, I I think both sides uh, within the UK political system caricature the other side. I've very rarely seen anyone arguing for complete decoupling. And I've very rarely seen anyone arguing for complete engagement. I think like most things in life, and one of the aims of this podcast, as we've discussed before, is about showing the huge amount of people that sit in between those spaces with a, a huge number of different views. Now, I realize I've just wasted a minute of your time trying to give a politician's answer to that question. And so I'll, I'll come back and say it bluntly, I don't know what the alternatives are. I don't know what they are. So regardless of whether we should have engaged or not engaged, we did. James Cleverly went as the foreign minister to China um, and had high-level bilateral relations. What's next? What happens now? So that's that's a question that I'll be pondering going forward in a couple of briefings. I think a couple of things that I would keep an eye out on are we have an artificial intelligence summit coming up at the beginning of November. That is the first time ever that the UK and actually the first one ever in the world is being is being held in the UK. That's Rishi Sunak's pet project. And there's a lot of discussion around will China be invited, will it not be invited? I, if I was a gambling man, and I'm not because I always lose, but if I was a gambling man, I would put money on China being invited to that. And I think another thing to look out for, over the summer, there was talk in a couple of the papers here about 
then Energy Secretary uh, and now Defense Secretary Grant Shapps visiting China. So he's got he's been replaced by Claire Catino, who is close to the, the Prime Minister. She may well find herself going out to China to discuss energy matters. It remains to be seen. There's one trip that's that's just taken place to China that's basically gone completely unremarked upon in the UK media and UK political environment. And that's Lord Johnson's trip to China. Lord Johnson is an investment minister. What what do you think is happening here? So um, Lord Johnson is the minister for inbound investment. Of course, he's part of the the wider Department for Business and Trade. He traveled over to reestablish trade and investment connections. The UK was actually country of honor at SIFTIS, which is the China Fair for Trade in Services, which was held in Beijing. Now, I suppose there's two simple ways of looking at this. One, it's very cynical in regards to it's a trade expo. The UK is one of the largest uh, providers of trade in the world. Who else would be country of honor? Or we can look at this as an enormous positive and an olive branch uh, for the Chinese authorities in which they really want to collaborate and work with the UK. I think my personal opinion is both sides, both the UK and China, have realized things have gone very, very far. You know, we swung from a pendulum of the the, the golden era right the way to maybe the lowest point of relations. So I think the Lord Johnson, the, the foreign minister visiting, just calms down the mu- music. So again, it's an overshadowed trip, but it's actually a very valuable trip. And again, let's not forget, Lord Johnson is a minister for investment inbound. So possibly looking at potential deals coming into the UK post-Brexit. That's, that's interesting. I mean, you would have hosted a fair number of these in your time as managed director of the British Chamber of Commerce in China. And we, did, we touched on this last week as well. But could you give us a, a very brief comment as to what, what would his day look like? A series of meetings, a series of uh, discussions? So the truth is, Sam, it's just a dry trade expo. So how fun, how, how engaging or how valuable, I'm not sure. But it's all the side meetings, the side roundtables, the side events that are taking place. All, um, trade expos like this in China um, are really valuable if they are utilized properly. They're utilized specifically by businesses. So it's an amazing opportunity for business to government engagement. Um, and indeed, I imagine lots of MOUs, lots of business collaboration and meetings will have taken place on the sidelines. But ultimately, if you were just to attend the, the, the expo as a, as a member of the general public, you would be slightly confused about what the actual offering is. But there's enormous value if you know how to utilize it. We'll keep an eye on then, I guess, for any MOUs that might roll out of that uh, event. I also did notice that Lord Johnson um, hosted a few receptions with business leaders. And I think that's incredible because he is speaking to on-the-ground experts about exactly where this relationship sits and what support the UK government can give to either improve or understand where the areas of friction are on the relationship. So, Steve, over the course of this series and, and hopefully series to follow, we'll be speaking to dozens of people who work in the UK-China space. And I think one of the aims of what we're trying to do here is to eke out what the UK's China strategy is to different people. Because if you ask the government, they're very clear. It's protect, align, engage. That was spelt out in the Foreign Secretary's Mansion House speech earlier in the year. But clearly that doesn't doesn't hold up to many people uh, from different parts of parliament and from the wider sector. So uh, do you think with that in mind that we have any clarity around what the strategy is in light of this visit? So my hope over the season of Beijing to Britain podcast we can add a bit of clarity to the strategy. My personal feeling is it's quite unclear currently. Um, 
seems that we want to keep our values, but also increase trade. I think just from this very podcast where we've had three uh, members of the, the, the government, so some in shadow and some in the current sittings in government, there seems to be inconsistencies and complacency towards China. So I hope that through this podcast series, we can sit down and speak to experts to add clarity to the strategy. Oh, Richard Graham joins us. Richard is the chair of the all-party parliamentary group on China and also the UK government's trade envoy to Indonesia, Malaysia, the Philippines, and the ASEAN. Richard, thanks for joining us. If I could just open up by asking you, what's your assessment of how the Foreign Secretary James Cleverly's visit to China went? This was, curious as it may sound, the first meeting between a British minister and a Chinese minister for five years. And of course, during the last year, we've seen very high level visitors from France, Germany, the European Union and the United States, amongst many, many others, including most of the leaders of Southeast Asia, who've been engaging. And it's a mistake for a country as important as ours, the United Kingdom, permanent member of the United Nations Security Council, with lots of interest in the Indo-Pacific, Anyone who thinks that it was a bad idea to meet down said, no, 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 this actually should have happened quite a long time ago. And indeed, it would have done, of course, had not one or two events interrupted what would have been, for example, a meeting between our prime minister and Xi Jinping earlier in the year in Bali. One of the key aspects of the coming out of James Cleverley's visit was, was engagement. And one of the issues that he, he constantly raises were a lot of these red, red, red lines, these, these massive problems. But one of them, the perspectives I think we should also remember is there's an enormous trading relationship between the UK and China, um, 100 billion pounds sterling every year um, going back and forth from the country. So maybe just getting your perspectives on you know, some of the positives of the relationship. Well, one word I'm always very cautious about, um, because the connotations in this country and even more so across the channel in France about the word collaboration uh, are, are intense. So I was say to the Chinese, you know, the, the word is, is partnership that we're looking for, because there are those who would like to see any sort of partnership with China as meaning exactly that collaboration with the enemy in brackets. And it is absolutely right that British companies should export, whether it's Welsh craft beers or um, elements of pigs that farmers can't sell in the UK but can export to China. And by the way, pig exports uh, will have been on the agenda as well, as I think you know, Steve. So, you know, there, there are a wide number of British interests in all of this. And legitimate trade, um, whether import or export or both, and investment, is a part of that relationship. And I, I don't believe it's in the global interest to do anything to disrupt that, but it is absolutely in our interest to make sure that our security interests are safeguarded wherever possible. Last week, the Foreign Affairs Committee published a report in which one of the sentences referred to Taiwan for all intents and purposes as a independent country. And it was part of a wider chapter on Taiwan, etc, etc. But the coverage or some coverage certainly online seems to confuse the Foreign Affairs Committee with Parliament and in turn with government. So you end up with this equation wherein the British government believes that Taiwan's an independent island. That's just one example of the confusion there. So I wondered if you could speak to the role that the UK's parliament plays in this bilateral in relation to China and also to our own government here. Yeah, it's precisely because the whole historical relationship between the UK, China and the 
Republic of China, i.e. what we know as Taiwan, is so complicated and governed by various treaties and understandings, both US and UK. Um, that's why I think it was a very good idea that um, we in the all-party group commissioned the Great Britain-China Centre, uh, I think just before the pandemic, to start a process, a sort of China masterclasses for parliamentarians. And, and of course, it's frustrating for the man on the street. Uh, the man or woman on the street would say, yeah, well, look, there it is. There's Taiwan, big island, big economy, separate from the mainland, never been under Communist Party of China control. Of course, it's a separate nation in its own right. And the, the difficulty with that is that actually the only way that the West, China and Taiwan could find through the complexities, particularly in the 1970s, was to go for this one China policy. And at the back of all this is the undoubted fact that it would be the greatest thing that Xi Jinping or any Chinese leader could achieve is the reunification of Taiwan with the People's Republic of China. And the obvious temptation for any leader, as this becomes harder to achieve peacefully and democratically, is to try and work out a way of doing it forcefully. And that is precisely what all of us in this world need to work at avoiding. So I keep going back to William Hague's first rule of diplomacy. Don't inadvertently make a bad situation worse. And that, of course, is precisely what's risked by former prime ministers visiting Taiwan or um, Foreign Affairs Select Committee deciding that uh, this was a good moment for the government to suddenly treat Taiwan as an independent nation. It's um, just, in my view, uh, a shame that um, the Foreign Affairs Select Committee realises it's not a clever thing to do and, uh, of course, enjoys the fact that people are confusing this with a sort of change of British government policy, which is what the chairman would no doubt like to achieve. After Cleverly's visit, we know one visit is not going to change everything. We know one meeting is not going to change everything. So, so what is next? Although, I, you know, there are colleagues in my party who've got slightly different views on this from me. Actually, the vast majority of our colleagues don't really want to get embroiled either in a row with China or in a row between ourselves about China. They want to see us doing the things that we should do sensibly, you know, exporting Rolls-Royce engines and Airbuses to Chinese airlines, for example. That's very good business for Britain, where 30% of every Airbus is manufactured here. While at the same time, you know, making sure that we do speak up uh, when the Chinese are doing things that we don't think are at all appropriate or even illegal, particularly in this country. Thanks so much, Richard. Appreciate you coming on. That was Richard Graham, chair of the China APPG. Now, within the conservative backbench, as we've already seen, there is a diverse range of views on how or if the trip should have gone ahead to begin with. But of course, Parliament is more than just the Conservative Party. And for that reason, it's important that we speak to people from the Labour bench. Labour, if polls are correct and if all things carry on as the way they are, will be in government in just around 18 months or less. So it's important for us to understand where their thinking is on these issues. Speaking to us now is Catherine West, Labour's Shadow Minister for Asia and the Indo-Pacific, a Hong Kong Watch patron, and also a member of the China APPG, which is formed of politicians from every major party. On the question of what would Labour do differently on China, we do wish to be more challenging than the government currently is. Of course, there will be areas where we will be continue to compete with China on 
questions and even on the question of the climate, progress on climate, we need to think very carefully about uh, questions such as where are the solar panels being made? Is there any human rights being compromised in that question? So even when we're cooperating on climate change, there will be questions that need to be answered and we will be seeking those answers in a much more uh, robust way than has currently been the case. We are working closely with other colleagues and other parties as well so that as much as possible, government policy can reflect any of the concerns which mem members of parliament have, particularly in relation to the ban on British MPs imposed by the Chinese government. We would have liked James Cleverley to have been much more robust and public in his statement regarding those particular members of parliament and calling for that ban to be lifted immediately and followed that up with work with the representatives of China here. Anyone who watches parliament will also have seen that we led the charge in calling on the government to act swiftly following the attack by a Chinese employee of the consul in Manchester on a, on a campaigner who was holding a placard outside the consul building in Manchester. This took months for the government to get a grip on and the government had to be dragged back to parliament time and time again. When something is wrong, we need to stand up and say it. And that was an occasion where we felt the government was lacking and quite emblematic of their approach to foreign policy in general, but in particular on China. So there you have it. Thank you to Catherine West, that Labour's Shadow Minister for Asia and the Indo-Pacific. And thank you for listening. If you are not already, please do subscribe to the Beijing to Britain podcast on all official streaming podcast apps. That's Spotify, Apple and Substack too. And uh, we look forward to speaking with you all next week. In the meantime, do get in contact to let us know what areas we should be discussing and with who. We're always keen to hear your feedback. Mm -hmm.